welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips to help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Christopher Brown, Ingenius Prep's Director of Academic Mentorships. Chris and I will discuss the wide range of strategies high school students can use to gain research experience and how such practical exposure helps them stand out in the college admissions process. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Hello, Ellen. I'm very happy to be here. Looking forward to talking about student research. Well, since we're talking about research, do you want to go ahead and just tell us more about yourself and then specifically about your background, your own PhD research? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm from the UK and I did my undergraduate and master's studies here in England at the University of Nottingham and then Oxford University after that. But after I did the master's, I decided I wanted a new challenge. So I took on a PhD in the United States at Emory in Atlanta, Georgia. So I was there for several years. So I'm one of those very lucky people who has one foot in the States, one foot in the UK or Europe. My research was focused on Latin American history and politics. So that involved stepping across a number of different fields. My primary field was history, but also in order to study and to research directly, of course, I needed to learn the languages. So I'd say that the key thing for me was learning Portuguese and Spanish languages, that allowed me to then go and do primary research in Latin America, particularly Brazil. Most of my work focused on the Brazilian Amazon region, and I was very lucky to conduct interviews there, look through historical archives, and also work with researchers in other fields to build up good data sources and analysis. So all in all, I've been very lucky to pursue my interests in research, and now it's a pleasure to guide students and work with professors across all different fields as as we run our ingenious academic mentorship program. And what are our academic mentorships? What does this program entail? And then, of course, what is your role as the director of academic mentorships entail? Our academic mentorships come in two main forms. The first is individual. That's where an individual student is working directly one-on-one with an academic mentor who will be a professor or a researcher from a top university, mainly in the United States, though we do have researchers from all across the top universities in the world. We also have a group academic mentorship program, and that's where students work in very small, intimate groups of three to five students. And again, they're working intensively with their academic mentor, but they also get the benefit of, of, this, of the group peer feedback as well. All of our students have not only a mentor, but also a teaching assistant who themselves are PhD candidates, usually from top universities. So each of our students gets quite a tailored service. And on these academic mentorships, students conduct research remotely with their instructors. And by the end of the program, they will complete a research paper that they can submit to high school journals, even undergraduate journals sometimes, or use for competitions or other purposes. So it's a really great opportunity for high school students to work closely with a top university professor and also to produce tangible outcomes, particularly a research paper. 
My role as director of academic mentorships is mainly working with our professors to ensure that our students are getting the best possible research experience and the most challenging possible research experience. So most of our professors will be people who have not only great researchers, but they're also very keen teachers. That's one of the criteria we use when we work with professors. And our professors come from all different fields. So it's actually a very enjoyable part of my job is to work with our professors as they design their curriculum for our students and as they tailor their projects for our students as well. And are you the one who's deciding the different academic mentorship uh, mentorship topics? I mean, they're so specific. We have classes like music as medicine, the connection between musical sounds and sciences, applied mathematics, AI and machine learning, theories and applications, social justice in modern America, understanding the historical, cultural, economic, and legal factors. So is it kind of tandem working with the professors to decide these topics? Absolutely. So the great thing about working with these professors is they are very excited to offer new topics and new combinations of topics for our ingenious students. The reason for that is that we know it can be very beneficial for a student to combine two topics that aren't normally combined. So the first example you gave there, music and medicine, was a program that we developed collaboratively with our professor to offer exclusively to our high school students. And in that project, students who have an interest or creativity in music are actually able to apply that interest or creativity to the STEM field of medicine. We also have students who are interested in public health and things like psychology who are working on that program. So it's really a very tailored program specifically for our students because we know and we work with the professors to focus on what is the thing that makes a high school student stand out on a research project. And one of those things is to combine two different areas that aren't usually combined. It shows that they have some real deeper interest and creativity in doing something new. I should also add that we not only offer academic mentorship topics, we offer a range of those topics across all subjects for students, but we also encourage students who want to come up with their own topics. So not only do I collaborate with the professors on topic selection for research projects, we have many students who come into our program with a clear idea of what they want to study, what evidence they want to research. And so then they work with the professors to make sure that their idea is also realistic, given their resources, given their timeline, and given that they're they're working on an in-depth research project as a high school student. So it's actually a very creative and also careful process of helping students choose which topic they want to study. Yeah, those individual academic mentorships are so specific. Sometimes I'll present like a case study and a webinar on them and I'm like reading the title of the student's research. I'm like, well, I don't know what any of these words mean, like nanoparticles and <laughs> like, whew, these kids are really above my level. Absolutely. And many of our professors tell us that the reason they want to work with ingenious students is precisely because they are blown away by some of the ideas, some of the creativity that the students have. We also have students doing so many projects that don't seem on face value to be possible for a high school student to do. But it turns out that our professors are able to guide students on this. You mentioned one of the projects on nanoparticles. Another example would be our astronomy and computer science program. So this is where our professor 
help students use publicly available data sets of new stars in the galaxy that the students then analyze that available data and come up with a research project indicating the route, the direction, for example, of those new stars. So actually, we, we are also always surprised by what our students can do. And I think that brings me to an interesting point, which is what is the evidence that students can use on an academic mentorship program with us? Many students ask this question because most of the programs are remote, so they're conducted online. And of course, the student will be doing a lot of independent research on their own time. Well, there are really three evidence bases that most of our students will use. Particularly for the STEM fields, we have many programs where students use publicly available data sets. So that might be published information about education statistics. It might be what I've mentioned before, which is, you know, new stars in the galaxy, or it might be other data sources that students who are interested in computer science, data science, or machine learning can manipulate to integrate into a research project. That's one source. Another source of evidence would be interviews or experiments that students can do. And of course, our professors guide students to choose this method to make sure it's ethical, make sure they're allowed to do it. You can't just go and interview anyone, of course, you need to go through a proper process of checking. But students can generate their own data on many of our programs with our professors' support. A third area of evidence that students can pursue is actually doing a deep dive into existing research that's published. In some fields, this is actually an extremely valuable way to go about a research project. For example, we have students in the humanities fields who have done very deep literature reviews of existing research on particular topics. So for example, dictatorships in South America, we've had a great student do research on that topic and actually come up with some new ideas based on their critique of existing research. So our professors do offer students these different ways of conducting research that helps them get down to a very narrow, well-defined topic that they, they can actually complete a research paper about. Wow, I sometimes I get like vicarious anxiety imagining just like the level of competition now for these students. I honest to God had a dream last night where I was like applying to college and I was like, I, was like, I don't have a research project on nanoparticles. I'm not getting in. But don't worry, students. Don't worry, parents. We're about to get into the practical tips section of this podcast. So <clears throat> without further ado, why is research so important to help students stand out in the admissions process? One thing that students are always trying to communicate to college admissions officers is that they are genuinely interested in and passionate about developing their skills in a subject. So a student can have an excellent transcript and perhaps standardized test results as well, showing aptitude for a certain subject. But in order to convince the admissions officer that this is something they really want to study over the next few years, or that they just have a general interest in research and being an undergraduate, I think doing something like an academic mentorship with us can show that extra level of effort our programs ask that students dedicate serious time to their research projects. They'll be spending several hours a week on these projects where, where possible. And this then produces you know, quite, a, quite an impressive essay at the end of it, as well as other impressive outcomes, such as a potential letter of recommendation from their mentor, such as support or just networking potential with their mentor and instructors, which may help them in their future applications, not only for college, but also for summer programs. So I think the main thing that students should bear in mind when taking on a research project is it is an important undertaking. And if they can put 
a reasonable amount of time into it, it really does show admissions officers that this student is going above and beyond basic requirements for a subject or for a general field. I hosted a webinar in March, a private webinar for students at Thomas Jefferson High School. So that's a public high school in Virginia. It's I think the top public high school in the country, I'm sure it bounces around like with Brooklyn Tech, they probably trade spots, but it's at STEM high school. These are the, like, you know, the top STEM students in the country. It's very competitive. And my co-host was one of our former admissions officers from UPenn. And she highlighted that these TJ students, these are like the types of students who really benefit from having research experience because it helps them stand out from their peers. What type of students would you say benefit the most from having research experience? Is it students like applying to the Ivies, to STEM schools, top 30, top 10? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that if they do it correctly, with good guidance, all students can benefit from gaining research experience, we will get very high performing students who create research projects that are actually at undergraduate level, even though they're still at high school. So that kind of student really needs to do a research project to show the potential they have, because it will give the confidence to college admissions officers that when that student arrives at the university, which is after all the center of research activity, they're actually going to launch straight away into things like undergraduate research initiatives. But students who maybe are not so sure about what subject or topic they want to study can also benefit from doing a research project. This is because in the course of doing a research project, they go from start to finish on every aspect of the scientific method. So on the ingenious academic mentorships, for example, we have the instruct the primary instructor who is the faculty the academic mentor who is the subject specialist. So if it's an astronomy program, you'll be working with an astronomist. But every student will also have a teaching assistant. And these are really important for practical assistance for our students. The teaching assistant's role is in part to teach the student and walk the student through the whole process, the, the basics of doing research, how to find resources, how to read articles effectively, how to make notes effectively, how to incorporate what you've learned into a structured scientific paper or social science or humanities paper. And so these are actually skills that a student will learn on a research project that they can apply to anything they do for the rest of their time in high school and certainly at university. And so whatever, even if the student is not entirely sure what their major is going to be or what their chosen topic or subject is, by going through a research project and showing that they have independent initiative, staying power and dedication, that itself is going to be valuable in the eyes of a college admissions officer. And of course, it's educationally valuable as well. If I transport my brain back 10 years, I'm in high school. I think when I think research, I'm imagining like test tubes and laboratories, like white coats goggles. But that's not true, obviously. There's lots of kinds of research. So to help students kind of start brainstorming, do you just want to explain at the high school level what counts as research experience? Absolutely. Well, research is essentially looking at something with fresh eyes or creating new knowledge somehow. And so those two different categories of doing research actually cover a whole range of essays that high school students can write. There's the research essay where they have done some kind of experiment or where they've done some kind of interviews with subjects or they've looked at data sets and analysed them. Those can all lead to a standard research paper. But another kind of research is 
students looking with fresh eyes at existing studies and publications. So something that students are always encouraged to do by our professors is read what has already been done in their chosen topic and actually try to think of ways they could improve upon that or critique it. One way to do that is to compare studies in one topic area with studies in another topic area so that students can then come up with some kind of synthesis. So actually, high school students, yes, they can do test tube research, they can do interviews, but they can also be reading primary sources, looking at data sets, and perhaps also with fresh, critical eyes, enthusiastic eyes, looking at existing publications. And so what are some different ways and places students can gain research, like different outlets that they can find to get started? Sure. And before I answer that one, let me give a couple more examples of you know, ways that high school students can do research. Something we got to bear in mind is that high school students need to use the resources that are available to them. So I want to give one example of a very enterprising high school student who was interested in zoology and biology. And this student actually conducted an experiment in her local area looking at stray cats in the area. So the student actually was able to monitor the number of stray cats and their roots around their local area. Now, this was a very creative experiment, but what it allowed the student to do was create their own data set that then they could write about in a research paper. Initially, when this student told us what she wanted to study, we were thinking, okay, there's lots of available data and existing resources online that a student can access about this. But we were also pushing her to think, what could she do creatively in her local area that would be useful? And what this student actually managed was not only a research paper, but she was also able to communicate with local animal shelters and actually have a tangible impact on her community as a result of her research. So I would say to all high school students, sometimes research can seem overwhelming. The idea of choosing a research topic can be overwhelming. So try to think about what is a problem in your local area that you would like to help to solve. And by thinking about problems, you can then think about possible realistic and creative solutions. Okay, so let's think about how students can access research opportunities. Well, one thing to start with is think about summer programs that students can do. There are programs all year round, but many of the really challenging and selective research institutes offer high school students opportunities in the summer. Many universities will offer those summer programs as well, which may include some element of research. So starting with sort of institutes is where our ingenious prep counsellors advise students. They say, right, here are some well-known research institutes where you may be able to join an existing summer program. Secondly, our ingenious counsellors would recommend to students that they consider contacting researchers in their local area, perhaps at their local university, local archive, local museum, depending on which subject they're in. And sometimes students are able to make those personal contacts with professors or researchers to set up some kind of bespoke, unique opportunity research project. It's a bit like when a student is trying to get an internship or volunteer in a local hospital. You, you can't always guarantee that you'll be able to get an opportunity, but it is worth trying. Most researchers are generally very happy when a student reaches out to them, if the student is demonstrating genuine interest in their research area, and if the student is giving them confidence that they'd be a great addition to their lab or their institute, uh, even for a short period. So we do recommend with guidance that students do try and generate new research opportunities for themselves. 
A third way that students and our students can conduct research is through independent research. Many of the steps that students go through on a research project can be started even before they join a formal project. As I've mentioned before, students should be listing the problems they see in their local area or in their country that they would like to help to solve. Having listed those problems, students can then start brainstorming a few potential research questions. What are some of the questions they would need to answer in order to solve that problem? And then finally, students, even before they join a formal research program, can actually be starting to collect information, collect resources, existing articles or books that relate to this project. That kind of independent activity not only prepares a student well for a formal research project, but it also can be used in college applications because admissions officers will appreciate the initiative that a student has shown. Finally, I'd mentioned that a great way to go about research, of course, is through an ingenious academic mentorship. And in the course of the application and pairing process for ingenious students, we work very closely both with the professors and the students to make sure they work with the most appropriate mentor, given their interests, given their objectives. We're actually working right now on an e-resource that's sort of like a cover letter template that students can fill in and send to potential research mentors, you know, like you said, like a university professor and, you know, just like, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. Like, this is my research interest. Like, this is why you should mentor me. I can imagine that would be very intimidating to high school students. That'd be very intimidating to me. So that's an e-resource that we're working on. We're very excited about. Hopefully we'll be able to launch that around the same time I post this episode. Great. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing I think that can help high school students. And one thing I always say to high school students I work with is they're actually in a you're in a great position as a high school student because you're not expected to have PhD level knowledge of a subject. So there really are no silly questions. There's nothing to lose by trying to show interest and showing excitement. It can be daunting, of course, to reach out to professors or researchers, but almost always the response will be positive if they are able to respond because they understand that high school students are just at the start of their academic journey and you know they'll be happy to answer questions. And something they always say, especially to college students, is that professors like love to talk about their own research. So you know you can really flatter their ego, tell them how much you love, you know, the Amazon, a lot of American history. Absolutely. Conversation rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many, so much information of researchers is online. So high school students can spend, you know, no more than two or three hours researching a professor, researching their research, just making sure they have a good idea of generally what the professor is interested in. And that gives them great ammunition to make contact for sure. And this was actually one of the questions I was going to ask later about how students can find and approach potential research supervisors, but we're already kind of talking about that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we recommend obviously like having you know a polite email written out, like you said, doing some research into them, their research. You recommended finding them through local universities. Are there any other ways that you recommend students? Are there opportunities maybe for them to have like a digital mentor remotely? So maybe if there's like a professor across the country, but they have the same research interest? Yeah, absolutely. I would explore all those options. So it, so when I say local, it doesn't necessarily have to be geographically local. If you can find a professor or researcher who is elsewhere in the country, then it makes perfect sense to connect with them. I would also say to focus on making it clear to the person you're contacting what it is you really want to achieve and making it easy for them to decide 
if they can help you or not. So actually thinking hard before you send the email about what practically you'd be able to do either to help their research or that you would want to gain experience in and to keep it fairly simple. So, you know, one successful student who reached out to a research, to a professor made a, sent a very concise email saying, here's who I am. Here are the topics I'm interested in. I'm contacting you because I see that you work on one of the topics I'm interested in. I would love to have the opportunity just to audit a few of your lab meetings this summer. And I would be happy to contribute by making notes, by sharing those notes with you. So this student actually was able to say it's very clear that I'm actually interested in what you're doing. And I think I could actually help as well as learn from you. Yeah, that's a great suggestion for students is not only being clear about the resources you need from the professors, you said, so they know the commitment they're committing to, but also offering them something back. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's great advice. I think also students can look at the research programs that are, that are advertised you know, for summer programs, see which professors are participating in those. And that may give them some ideas about the kind of people they can contact. I'd add something else, which is that students should be thinking about not only working with university-based professors, but also researchers who have PhDs but are working in industry. So in some fields, such as finance and business, many of Many of the mentors or potential mentors will actually be in industry now. They may have got their MBA from NYU Stern or, you know, a PhD in accounting, let's say, from UC Berkeley, but they may be based now in industry. And actually, some students will be really well suited to working with someone who's, who's working off campus now, because maybe that's the kind of professional pathway they're, they're thinking about themselves. And how can students distinguish between programs and opportunities that are selective versus non-selective? And then, you know, is it worth doing these non-selective programs? Are there any programs where you would ever say like, oh, no, that's a scam? What we can use here is the method that we use when we evaluate whether a academic journal is legitimate. And the, the first thing to do is to try and see is there an advisory board of professors or academics that is publicly presented on the website? You know, is there some kind of institutional backing for this research institute or program? You know, if, if some very prestigious professors are supporting a program, then it's likely that this is a great opportunity. In terms of selective versus non-selective, of course, there is value in being accepted and doing well on a selective program. This will really stand out in a college admissions process, and it will give confidence to the college admissions officer that you've been accepted onto this program. That must mean you are doing something right. But I would also encourage students to consider non-selective programs because ultimately what matters with research and its impact on a college admissions process is what did you do and did what you it did what you achieved contribute to your decisions when applying to college so for example if a student is researching let's say the economics on a research program that was not selective but they do a lot of work on it they create a great paper and they actually end up getting that paper published in a high school journal well that's going to show a lot of value to a college admissions officer, because what they really want to know is, does the student really have an interest in this subject? And have they shown that they're willing to pursue that through a program? So something that students should always remember, it's not enough to be accepted to a selective summer program. They actually need to work hard on the program and have a tangible outcome at the end of it. 
And speaking of publication, how can students gain recognition for their research output, you know, submitting to competitions, getting into journals? How can they find these opportunities? As you said, how can they determine if these opportunities are legitimate? So the primary role of the ingenious teaching assistants on research programs is to guide students very carefully through all the options they have of what to do with their research. And what we do is we approach the journal and contests and competition process like the college admissions process. We will offer to students a range of very selective reach options. These will be the most prestigious journals where high school students can publish. We'll also also offer a range of target journals or contests as well. These are selective options, but we feel that our students would have a slightly higher chance than with the reach options. And then finally, we will offer students a range of what we call safety options, which is where they can guarantee that they will publish their research in some way that can be valuable for the college admissions process and that will be meaningful for them. I always encourage students to think of one research project as something that actually creates multiple opportunities. One of those opportunities is the core research paper, which they may want to submit to a contest or journal. But another opportunity is to show that they can communicate their research to non-specialists. So we actually encourage our students to record videos, record podcasts like this, present their work at conferences, present their work in their local library at school to non-specialists as well as specialists. This is actually potentially just as valuable to a college admissions officer. They'll see that a student has gone through a research program and created an academic paper, but they'll also be impressed if the student is sharing their work online, gaining readers, and, and also presenting their work in different ways. Now, that second part is something that the student can guarantee they can do. They can't guarantee which journal they might be accepted to, because many of these journals are very selective, but they can guarantee that their research will be out there and that they'll have a link to it online and there'll be readers and they'll be getting feedback on it. And that can be very valuable for admissions officers as well. So some of the students I've talked to, I know have published with a journal called the Scholarly Review. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, yeah. So this is one great example of a high school facing academic journal. The journal has an editorial board, which is composed of a range of professors who have wide-ranging expertise across different subjects. And the journal publishes student work after a selective peer review process. So any student who submits to the scholarly review will receive feedback from the editorial board, whether they are accepted or not to the journal the first time around. So something that we always tell our students is that the journal process, when it's rigorous, can take two or three different rounds of submission. So it's very rare that a student or even a professor will have their paper accepted immediately to a journal. The scholarly scholarly review is one example of a journal that will go through at least two rounds of editing and review before they decide whether they can publish a student paper. But once the student gets to that stage, they can be very proud of themselves because this is selective and the The publication is really quite meaningful and it's something that students can share with admissions officers and the website's very professional, as is the publication design. I believe I've been a high school student in a while, but back in my day, there was like, you know, science fairs or we do some research projects in like AP stats. Is there a way that students, you know, if they're they're already doing a science fair project for their science class, could they continue that project outside of the class? Could they talk about that call that project in their applications? You know, how can students expand on these research opportunities that they're already doing in their curriculum? 
I think it's a very good idea to build on work that students are doing at school. So there'll be things they've done at school, which they'll be keen to do more on because they've seen that there's more that can be done or because they're submitting their work to an external science program, for example, a contest. So actually, I think this is a very mature way for high school students to think about what research they want to do. Build on your existing strengths. Yes, you want to learn new skills and sometimes you might want to go into totally new topic areas. But if in doubt, actually think about what you've already done and then working with a university professor to deepen your knowledge and skills in that topic area can be really valuable. And it means that when you start your academic mentorship, you can hit the ground running because you already have some background in a certain area. Do you want to talk more in depth about how students can initiate independent research projects? Maybe like the maybe just like the the basic steps they can follow to do an independent research project if they're you know they don't have like a mentor they don't have a ton of resources they're just kind of going it alone. If a student wants to go it alone on a research project or at least start it alone, they can follow a few key steps. The first thing is to consider what the final outcome they're hoping for would be. Some students will be focused right from the start on. They want to write a paper that they can submit to a specific journal or specific contest. So, for example, in history, a student may want to submit their work to the Concord Review, which is a journal for high school students. Now, that's one way to start your project. Think about what the end goal is. For other students, the end goal may be slightly different or it may include something slightly different, like making an impact in your local community. So I think... For a student starting on an independent research project, it's very, very important not only to have a clear timeline in mind, when do you want to finish this project by, but also what exactly is going to be the outcome of it. Of course, those two things may change during the process, but when you're working independently, you must give yourself limits and you must make sure that this isn't going to go on forever unless you want it to. So set those limits in advance. Secondly, having set the overall goals, Think about what are some topics or questions that are of interest to you and that you actually care about. Something that my old professor always used to ask me was, what do you actually care about, Chris? You know, you're telling me about all of this knowledge you have, but what is a problem in the world that you care about the most? And that is one way for students to identify a topic that is good for them. Try to see what are some problems that are local to them or maybe in their country as a whole that they'd like to be involved in tackling? Thirdly, even if you're doing an independent research project, it's very rare that you would want or be able to do it completely alone. It's actually a very good idea to reach out to teachers, fellow students, researchers even, telling them what you're doing and asking them for their input. Doing an independent research project does not mean doing something alone. Actually, it's so rare now in the academic world that even a professor would complete a research project alone in any field. You, you need to have that collective support. Students benefit from going to collective writing centres, for example, writing up their research with others. Students benefit from giving presentations or even just having one-on-one -on -one discussions about their research. So that's something I'd really give as a tip for independent researchers. Don't try to do it all alone because also you'll be more accountable if you've told other people, this is what I'm doing and this is when I'm going to finish it. And does all research need to be at a high level? Can it still be advantageous if a student is doing, you know, a more basic project, like looking at water quality in their local streams? 
Absolutely. And I wouldn't even say that that's a particularly basic project. But I think that the point you're making is great, which is that a research paper or research project does not have to end with a very long journal article. Academic journals also publish short research reports. They publish abstracts or even project proposals. So there is value in any kind of research project. And what we generally advise our students is it's better to do a project well rather than reach too high and not be able to fulfill your goals. Something that many students struggle with is how to narrow the range of their project. So if a student is trying to solve all the problems in the field of geography, for example, they're not going to be able to do that in a reasonable timescale. It's much better to focus on a much more specific project, such as water quality in your local river, because then that's something you can, you can actually start and finish in a tangible way. In the college admissions process, Students will typically be advised by us to share their research in a few different ways. One of them will be by sharing the abstract of their research project. That's normally around about 200 to 300 words. So it's a fairly short statement of your research. I would say that that abstract in itself is valuable. So even if a student has designed a very good research project, but they couldn't finish it, as long as they've got a very clear project outline in an abstract, it's still valuable for their college application. Many of our students also publish their work in a preprint manner. And what preprint means is it's work in progress. So even if they're not quite ready to publish their work in a journal, they can share their work online in a polished way that gets reader feedback and shows the college admissions officer that they're really engaged in the research progress process. So I would say that actually no research project is too basic. What matters is that the student is rigorous and conscientious and methodical in going through each stage of the research process. Is there ever research that is like low quality and therefore detrimental to college applications or even just like neutral, like the admissions officer reads and is like, oh, another water quality project, like toss it away. That's a good question. I, I think it's unlikely that the topic itself is going to be the problem. What would be the problem is if the student doesn't articulate why the topic was meaningful and why it was meaningful for them. That's what matters in the college admissions process. Actually, admissions officers are not going to be swayed one way or the other by the, by the research topic itself. What they need to know is, why did the student think this was important? What did the student do that was impressive during the process? And is the student asking to come to our university to study something that's not necessarily directly related to this research topic, but that having done that research topic, the student is better prepared to be a success at college. So actually, it's not the topic that would be the problem. It would be the way the student is presenting their research to the college admissions officer. So do you recommend students connect their research obviously to the community. So they say like, oh, I did this water quality research because I'm passionate about, you know, making sure the fish have good water to swim in. Obviously they don't say that. And then they, should they also connect it to the university and say like, oh, therefore I want to go to Dartmouth because of its beautiful rivers. I don't know if Dartmouth has rivers. It just seems like it might. Yeah. I mean, I think if that works, then yes, that's great. But of course that won't always be possible. But I think what matters is impact. So the student has done this research project. Has anyone benefited from it? And that may be a local community center, or it may be the local community of fish in the river. But for academic research, the way that 
that benefits are measured is has this student shared their work? Have they shared what they've learned either through a published article or through presentations or conferences or even just sharing it in their school newspaper? That is what matters. The student's done all this work. Have they shared it? That is, that is key. I would also say that it's very important to emphasize Students can do research topics, but then apply to a different major at college. And that's not necessarily a problem. Having done a research project of any kind and gone through it properly, the student has shown that they're capable of research really in any field. Now, if the field matches, that's even better, of course, because it gives the admissions officer real data proving that this student is well prepared for undergraduate study. But I don't think that connection always has to be made very directly. And there's a couple places in the application I can think of where students would highlight their research. So activities lists, honors and awards, additional information section, essays. Do you want to talk about how some of our students have used these different sections to discuss their research? Yes, absolutely. So some of our most successful students would, would do the following generally. They'll use the activities list as a place where they can provide the key information about their research project. So what was the topic? Were they guided by a university college professor? What was the outcome of their project? You know, did they publish a paper? Did they uh, write a research paper of a certain length? Not only in the activities list, but many students, if they've received awards, can put this in the honours list as well. So if a student is published in a selective high school journal or wins a contest by writing their paper, that is absolutely something that will stand out in the honours list. And it really shows that the student is academically showing great promise. As well as the activities list, many students are able to write in detail about their research, particularly in supplemental essays. Some colleges actually ask students explicitly, you know, is that have you done a research project? If so, can you write about it here? But even if in, in uh, applications where the college is not explicitly asking for a research project, the research project may be great as the story to tell in your supplemental essay, how you became passionate about the major, for example. Many of those why major questions can be well answered if a student writes about their research project. Thirdly, many students can share key information about their research in the additional information section on the Common App. Now, of course, our application counselling advisors are always very careful to make sure students aren't putting too much information in the additional information section to make sure they're not irritating the college admissions officer. However, some key information about their research can be useful. The link to the publication, if there is one online. The abstract, which would be two to 300 words, just summarizing the research in more detail. And perhaps any other key information about the research project that the student feels the admissions officer needs to see. Finally, some students use the research indirectly to inform their personal statements. Now, we know that the personal statement is, is not going to be focused on the academic subject itself. It's, it's a personal statement. But some students are able to refer to the research they've done as perhaps the inspiration for some kind of personal growth they've experienced. So those are just four of the ways that students are able to use their research tangibly impressively in their Common App applications. And am I correct that it's often ideal for these students to get an additional letter recommendation from their professor who they worked with, the research supervisor? Yes, I think students benefit a lot in many cases if they are receiving a letter of recommendation from a professor or instructor outside their school context. This 
can really show universities that the student has proven themselves with people who didn't know them before. So if they've worked with one of our ingenious academic mentors, for example, and they've done a great job and their mentor agrees to write a letter of recommendation, that can really add value to a student's college application because the academic mentor in their letter will will, ex- will indicate exactly the achievements that the student made and the, the attributes they showed in their research project. This can give an extra angle to a student's application for sure. For younger students, how can they go about pursuing research, like maybe for multiple years, like a project that they start as a freshman and it continues to evolve? Do you have any, you know, recommendations for students right now who are in eighth grade, ninth grade? So Ingenious actually has junior academic mentorships that are precisely to help students in seventh, eighth and ninth grade who may want to start their research nice and early. What we recommend is that students go through a process of First, creating a detailed research proposal. So it may be that they want to study something that they can't do because of their age. But what they can do is come up with a very detailed research proposal where they say, if given the opportunity, this is what we need to study and research next. Having done that, junior research students, students who are still in the early stages of of thinking about research, they can take on a project that is manageable. So for example, they could do a thorough review of existing literature, and maybe they could do a small experiment or interview process to gather new data. But one thing these students should bear in mind is if they start nice and early, then by the time they're in grade 10, grade 11, seniors, they'll be in a great position to do a really in-depth research project because they'd have gone through this serious process of narrowing down what they want to study. So actually, it's something I recommend to all my students. Think about research nice and early. Even if you're not ready to do the big project yet, this will help you when you get to that point. Do you have any additional words of wisdom, support, encouragement to share with our students, with our parents? Absolutely. So, yeah, research can be daunting, not only for high school or middle school students, but also for PhD researchers or professors when they embark on a new project. So I think it is very important to spend time getting guidance on which research topic to choose, which research question to pursue, and how exactly to manage the research process. Even something very simple, or that seems simple, such as interviewing a few people, can be quite complicated. And that's where students really benefit from care careful planning, careful advice on what is and isn't possible. I would also add something else. You know, our our most successful students do a great research project, normally in something like grade 11 of high school. That's where they have time to finish the work. And if they want to publish the work before they go into the college admissions process. But many of those students have done a lot of experimentation before they get to that stage. At Ingenious, for example, we have a research interest exploration program where students actually look into seven different subject areas to help them choose which subject area they actually want to focus on and research. Whether it be through that program or general work, students should not feel downhearted if they're not yet sure what they want to research in detail. Actually, part of the mentorship process is when our professors give the students very clear advice This topic that you've expressed interest in is a great topic, but maybe it's not good for you right now. But this other topic is something that's challenging, inspiring, will stand out, and you can actually do it. 
So I would say to all students, don't be surprised if it feels a bit overwhelming to think about what can I research, what topic, but there are lots of resources, there's lots of great advice available to help students narrow that down. so much for joining us today, Chris. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into how high schoolers can gain research experience. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag InsideAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.